0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a blessing this service has been. We saw young lives committed to your purpose in your kingdom. There's no way to imagine all that lies ahead for these young people, Lord, but we pray your Holy Spirit's presence that you'll be poured out on them in a special way today and that they will be given strength for their lives of faithfulness. Lord, I pray that we're inspired by seeing these young people take their stand to continue faith in Jesus, to be a new generation of believers. Lord, I thank you for the music we've heard today, for the ways our hearts have been stirred. I thank you for Dave Johnson helping us out today with announcements. And I thank you for everyone that's come today and everyone that's joined us online. Lord, you've brought us You've blessed us. Now give us a word, in Jesus' name, amen. We begin with Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning with verse seven. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I experienced, and you benefited from, a brilliant example of the truth of this passage just one week ago. I've been a pastor for 20 years now. 20 years and and almost 2 months. And if if you do the math on that, 20 years is is roughly 1040 some sabbaths. There's a few extra in there just cuz there's 365 days. But anyway, some like that and we're about 8 sabbaths into this year. So somewhere I've been a pastor for something like 150 Sabbaths, I mean, 1,050 Sabbaths. Now, if you factor out the year and a half that I worked at Adventist World Radio where I really didn't preach much, and then you figure I probably preach about 70% of the time, that would be a reasonable estimate. It comes down to around 650 Sabbaths that I've been scheduled to preach over the last 20 years. In all of that time, only one other time before last Sabbath, have I ever been too sick to speak on a Sabbath that I was scheduled. And that took place within the first five years of my pastoring. So I did the math for you, just in case you wondered. That's a 99.7% Sabbath reliability factor. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I feel like that's in bonus territory, I'm just saying. (laughs) But it finally happened again last week. I was too sick to go. But you know what? I am blessed. You know why? Because two are better than one. If one falls down, the other can lift him off. And that's exactly what Alicia did for me last Sabbath and after I heard her message I wasn't even a bit sorry that I'd gotten sick but rather I was glad I was sick because you needed to hear what God had to say through her and if I'd been here you wouldn't have heard it at all I'd have said something else so I guess I could say that it was for your sakes that I was struck down so that Alicia might speak I know it's heroic of me But I am willing to suffer for the good of all. (laughs) Yet lest my halo become too shiny by the work of my own hands, perhaps we should get back to the point. Two are better than one. Is this Ecclesiastes 4 verse not the saddest thing you've ever heard? Again I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. This was a problem that started all the way back at the beginning and something that God sought to set in order right from the start. The Bible tells us that God created Adam and put him in the garden that God had made and gave him instructions to tend the garden and care for it. And after some other instructions regarding a particular tree that he was to stay away from, God added this musing seemingly to himself. Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good to be alone. Now, all you introverts out there, my people, I'm one of you, don't get worried right now. I'm not saying you can never be alone. And that you always have to be out there like those crazy extroverts whose gregarious nature is such a total mystery to us. Why do they do that? What I mean and what I believe God meant is that it is not good when we don't have someone to love, someone to work with, and someone to be with. So just go with me on this for now. God needed to show Adam, I believe, that Adam needed someone. Adam needed to be lonely, I think, before he could really appreciate Eve. Genesis 2, verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I wonder how long it took Adam to figure out that something wasn't right. I mean, he was a guy after all, so it may have taken some time. We're not always quick on that relational stuff, you know. But I wonder how many male and female lions and deer and cows and sparrows and wombats and dolphins and wolves he had to see before it finally dawned on him, now wait a minute, I'm all alone. I'd like to think his aloneness eventually hit home pretty hard. I think it would have hit home pretty hard with me because usually we aren't ready to appreciate what God wants to give us until we realize how badly we need it. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You see, two are better than one because if one falls down, the other can pick him up. That certainly was true for me last Sabbath. Now, I suppose I've spent most of our time today talking about one specific and very important kind of interpersonal relationship, when a man and a woman are united in marriage. Now, I know also that this topic can be a painful one sometimes, both to those in a struggling marriage and to those who have longed to marry but never had the privilege, or those who have lost the one to whom they were married. Yet I mention it first because I believe it is the most important type of interpersonal relationship in which we can engage. And I want to continue to hold marriage in high esteem for all that it could be and all that it should be in our lives and in our community. May we always honor marriage. But in truth, today's topic is bigger than just marriage. It's interpersonal relationships. It's the next concept in creation health. Creation health is the, the wonderful approach to whole life health developed by the folks at Florida Hospital. It's, a, it's an acronym, Creation. The C stands for choice. If we will choose, we can have a better life. If we would align our lives with these principles, we can have a better life. R is rest, E is environment, A activity, T trust in God, I interpersonal relationships. That's where we are today. We have two more to go, O for outlook and N for nutrition. But the question for today is this, Do you have strong interpersonal relationships? If you do, you are healthier because of it. More on that in a moment, but first some examples from the Bible. You see, we get messed up when we think we're all alone. Even God's superstar prophets break down from loneliness. 1 Kings 19 verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. It all happened after the Mount Carmel experience. He goes up and, and Elijah challenges all the priests of Baal and the fire from the Lord falls on the Lord's altar. And Then Elijah sees to it that the priests of Baal are eradicated and then he goes off and prays that the three and a half years of drought would end and rain would come and then the run down the mountain in front of the king's chariot. But, but all of this, the whole experience, had left him feeling depleted and alone. And for Elijah, there was no one to pick him up when he finally fell, or at least that's what he thought. And that is why he said in verse four, I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. But God didn't let him die. God sent an angel to feed him, and finally, after Elijah was strengthened, he reached a cave deep in the desert, and there God called to him and said, verse 13, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too." You end up dying faster when you think you're all alone. But Elijah wasn't really alone. And God points this out to him by telling him to go back the way he came and find Elisha and anoint him. And then God adds, just as as an aside, but an aside that makes all the difference, verse 18, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You're not alone, Elijah. Now get out there and find your people. Paul knew what it felt like to stand alone, and it was hard for him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Now we're gonna come back to an important point here at the end, but the point to see right now is that even Paul sometimes felt lonely and alone. Paul understood the value of a friend, and he wasn't afraid to let his friends know when he needed companionship. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. This is him writing to Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Do you hear Paul's heart? He's calling to his friends. Come and be with me. It's particularly interesting, his appeal, that he bring Mark, considering the trouble that was between Paul and Mark at one point. But here's the thing, feeling alone can make you quite tolerant of the ones that you used to think you had a disagreement with. Sometimes standards for a friendly face go quite a ways down if you're pretty lonely, don't they? Two are better than one. Jesus knew this. He took this truth into account in his actions. For example, Luke chapter 10 verse 1, After this the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them, how? two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Why? We read it before. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. We shouldn't be out there trying to do everything on our own that's not how God planned it to be Genesis 2 verse 18 it is not good for the man to be alone and it's not good for the woman to be alone either it's not good for your heart figuratively and it's not good for your heart literally and the evidence from science is overwhelming some years back It was noted that there was a town in Pennsylvania where people seemed to die of coronary heart disease at a significantly lower rate than cities right next to them. The the town was called Rosita, Rosita, Pennsylvania. And researchers noticed that compared to the towns right next to it, the people in Rosita died from coronary heart disease at a rate 50% less than in the other towns. Well, the researchers decided to investigate, and the investigation revealed that this town of Rosita was unique because it had grown up from an immigrant community that had all come together, and they shared a lot of heritage and background and culture and religion, and the net result was this community was abnormally connected in an interpersonal way. This, after all their research, was the only significant difference they could find between the people in this community and those in the surrounding communities. And for 30 years, the rate at which people died in Rosita from coronary heart disease remained significantly below the towns right next door. But time began to change Rosita. And the ties that once defined the town began to break down as young people grew and moved away, and the community became more diverse. Turned out the folks just weren't as close as they used to be. And can you guess what happened? The study on Rosita ran for 50 years. The first 30 years it was this close-knit community and the death rates remained low. But once the interpersonal relational closeness began to break down over the last 20 years of the study, by the end of the study, the folks in Rosita died of heart disease at the exact same rate as the people in the other towns. Interpersonal relationships make a real difference Many different studies have shown the same thing, and for various fatal diseases. There was a study at Johns Hopkins University of 1,337 male medical students that produced a shocking result. After decades of study, what they discovered was the best predictor of which of these male students would develop cancer decades later in life was not lifestyle decisions, but rather the best correlated predictor was the closeness of a particular student's father-son relationship earlier in his life. Think that left them scratching their heads? You see, the original study was all about family closeness and they discovered decades later that family closeness makes a difference. The impact for children is real. And it impacts their choices of risky behavior. Kids who feel connected to family and to church and to school and to community are far less likely to participate in risky behaviors than those who have no tight connections. Now, we know all of this data is not without exceptions, but close community and culture gives the very best chance anyone can have. The basic summation of the science is this. People with close social contacts have the lowest premature mortality rates And the impact of those close interpersonal relationships on the data is stronger than any other predictor, including age, gender, race, socioeconomic status, and self-reported health and lifestyle practices, such as smoking, drinking, overeating, physical activity, and preventative health measures. What I'm saying is this, we've spent an awful long time Trying to help people stop smoking and drinking and overeating and physical and get them physically active and help them to take preventative health measures. But you know what? Those are numbers two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight on the list. You know what number one is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. The evidence is clear. It is not good for man to be alone. Two are better than one. This is all the more reason why we encourage you all to participate in small groups. It's not just good for your soul. It could literally save your life. Or at least add some happy, meaningful years to your life. You remember each spring of the year, we have a special sermon series in March and April that we call our small group series. Well, if you're paying attention to the calendar, March is coming up, and in the second week of March, we'll start the small group series. It's not too early to start making plans to gather your friends together. You remember we do a sermon here, and then we also provide a study guide so you have the opportunity to gather as your group and talk about what we're going to talk about here at church it's coming soon but we need to wrap things up for today so how do we finish how about with a piece of advice and a word of hope first the advice love your neighbor as yourself oh wait a minute that's not advice That's one of the great commandments, isn't it? That's not just advice. Why should you love your neighbor as yourself? You should do so because that's how you make friends. And do you know why friends are important? Well, because two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There is no situation sadder than a person all alone. That is why solitary confinement is one of the harshest punishments you can endure. So I tell you, don't pity the man dying surrounded by loving family. Pity the man sitting all alone with no one who cares. Don't be a loner, be a togetherer. That's a new word, we just invented that. Be a togetherer. You are killing yourself out there on your own. So how do you do it? Well, I'll tell you one thing about this church. A great place to stop being a loner and start being a togetherer is in a Sabbath school. It's a great place to go and get involved. And in fact, the Sabbath schools are so full, you're a real literal togetherer because you're packed in there. You really rub shoulders. So that's the word of advice. The word of hope. God created Eve to be with Adam because it was not good for man to be alone. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they became separated from God and separated from each other. And in truth, sin should have meant permanent and eternal separation for us all. But thank God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself became the peace that breaks down every wall. You see, Jesus bore our aloneness for us so that we would never have to be alone. This is why on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was Jesus bearing the aloneness that should have been ours. That was Jesus falling down all alone with no one to pick him up. That was Jesus all alone with no son, no brother, and no end to his toil. Isaiah 63, who is this coming from Edom, from Basra with his garments stained crimson? Who is this, robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red, like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. You see, Jesus suffered the aloneness for us so that we would never have to be alone and then after he suffered and died and rose again he said this I am with you always even to the end of the world Jesus died so that we would not have to be alone We're so blessed. We have this amazing place to gather. We have each other to love. And we have the promise of Jesus that He will be with us to the very end. So let's not be loners. Let's not waste the promise of Jesus. Let's not shorten our lives. Instead, let's all be togetherers, together. It is not good for man to be alone. Two are better than one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for suffering aloneness, that we would never have to be alone. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is ever-present with us in our lives. And we thank you for our brothers and sisters, who you have not just encouraged us to love, but have commanded us to love and said, by this will all men know they are my disciples, by their love for one another. Lord Jesus, help us be togetherers people who care about each other and even if it doesn't add length to our days it will certainly add quality to our days and it seems it likely would add length as well help us to choose wisely in Jesus name Amen And now may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine on us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance on us and give us peace. Amen. Amen.